This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. This week we look at a sketchy survey that ruffled feathers in the capital with local elections on the horizon and another week with, inevitably, much more monarchy in our media. But first, our news media have long griped about Google and Facebook sharing their news to huge audiences online, but not paying for it, for years. But now the government's hinting it could force the issue soon. So how would that work? Well, first of all, I've been looking at the tributes from Māori in the, me- Māori in the media uh, to a person. Everybody is saying, let's mourn the Queen as a person and acknowledge the contribution she made uh, t- to the Commonwealth. Uh, there'll be a time when we have a conversation uh, about what this means uh, between the Crown and Māori, uh, but that's a conversation for another time. Right now, we just need to focus on mourning the Queen and acknowledging her 70 years of service. That was Māori Crown Relations Minister Kelvin Davis on the News Hub Nation show last weekend, which made a point of asking several Māori politicians what Māori would make of the death of Queen Elizabeth II. And the host Simon Shepherd didn't seem satisfied with the minister's now's not the time type of response. OK, there is uh, some pushback to that a bit online. Is that inappropriate? Well, everyone's going to have their own views. There'll be different views. Um, personally, I think let's go through the mourning period um, and, and then let's start, start having the conversations that will inevitably flow. Well, it's a tough ask to respond to unspecified online dissent, which the host Simon Shepherd didn't seem to even want to describe there or where it was coming from. But shortly after that, Māori Development Minister Willie Jackson was in the News Hub Nation hot seat and he was also pressed on divided opinions. Those facts won't go away, but it's at, at the appropriate time we'll deal with that. But I think it's probably wrong to say that Māori are united uh, in their uh, um, mourning for, for the Queen. If I, if I was being fair, certainly yep. I, I support where we are as a government. But there will be parts of Māori, and particularly the protest movement, um, who, um, who re- you can recall the protests at Waitangi. Now, having said that, News Hub then ran an online headline which said that Willie Jackson had said some Māori were angry over the Queen when he hadn't really said that at all. And it certainly surprised Willie Jackson, who described it on social media as an irresponsible and stupid headline and condemned the story as clickbait. Now, News Hub might have agreed that it wasn't accurate. That headline now says Māoridom will be divided over what happens next, according to Willie Jackson. But in that interview, it became clear that Willie Jackson wasn't even expecting to talk about all that on News Hub Nation that day, but rather about his other portfolio, broadcasting and media. The Smarty Broadcasting Strategy yeah. is going to flow up, because I thought that's what we were talking yeah, well, about. Well, we were going to. <laughs> but some, you some, changed, events, right? well, some events overtake us, don't okay. they? Well, last weekend here on Media Watch, we also took a look at that Māori Broadcasting Strategy that Cabinet has now approved. You'll find that on the RNZ website if you missed it, or in our podcast feed. But before that News Hub Nation interview ran out of time last weekend, Willie Jackson was also asked about something of huge interest to the media right now. Google and Meta, are you putting the hard word on them to secure deals to pay for content or are you going to legislate? Well, which I'm trying really hard. Because, I mean, there's a... Have you given them a deadline? Uh, yeah, I have, for three months, actually, and, and said, to, said to them, let's see the deals in the, in the marketplace. Let's, 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 let's you know, look, just... at, let's, let's look after those small players. Because, sure. Because their news have been taken, yeah. and the big players are, 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 are just, so just, just doing the business. Now there, Woody Jackson was talking about a major gripe for the media that's gone on for years. Google and Facebook distributing their local news to huge audiences online and profiting from it, while the local media that actually make the content get very little out of it. 
and the only thing likely to persuade the tech titans to pay up for carrying local news is the likelihood of our government forcing the issue with legislation. And that was the first time that a government minister had said this might happen here quite soon. I want to see some fairness. I want to see all, all these Kiwi news organisations looked after. Yeah. That's what it's about. And these big players have the funding and the resourcing to be able to do that. So soon we will know whether they well, have well, actually we, met we, their we, obligations well, we're, that you put we're out to You know, I meet with their people all the time. Yeah. I say, Who's, who are you doing deals with? And let's see some action out there so that the, the, the little guy can be looked after. You know we only have half the journalists that we, I'm we have. I'm well aware of that, the yes. Last, yeah. You know, mates are yours. Yeah. All out of work. Mm. And, and all because... Uh, you know, I shouldn't blame the big players, but there's plenty of money to go around to look after all Kiwis. Oddly, there was no overcooked headline about that on the News Hub website after News Hub Nation last weekend, but those comments were a revelation for the news media industry, News Hub included. Now, earlier this month, we learned some of the deals that have been done, which the minister referred to there, when Google launched the local version of its service, News Showcase, now available for free via Google's websites and apps. And the first Kiwi outlets ever to get regular payments from Google for that include the Herald's owner NZME and its subscriber subsidiary Business Desk, as well as RNZ, and online sites Scoop, Newsroom and the Pacific Media Network. There's also a handful of local outlets on Google News Showcase too, like Crux, which serves the Southern Lakes region, and Kapiti News. And at the time, Google's local country representative Caroline Rainsford told RNZ's Giles Beckford the showcase deals were an expression of this. Our commitment to continuing to play a part in what we see as a very important shared responsibility um, to ensure the long-term sustainability of public interest journalism in New Zealand. But there's nothing on the Google News Showcase from Stuff, our biggest national news producer, or other big names like TVNZ and NewsHub, or smaller ones like the spin-off. Now that's because most of them have banded together with the umbrella group the News Publishers Association to bargain collectively with Google and Meta, the parent company of Facebook. And last week, Google's regional head of partnerships, Shilpa Junjunwala, would only say this about how that was going. They're live discussions, guys, so we can't comment much on the status, but we are engaging with the NPA. Right. So for now, that means the New Zealand Google News Showcase is far from a comprehensive or compelling service for Kiwis. Broadcasting Minister Willie Jackson described it as a good start, but not enough, and the spin-off's founder Duncan Grieve reckoned it was actually the minister that Google had in mind with last week's launch, in order to... Create a sense that Google is now a solid and public-spirited ally to the news industry, and it would like Willie Jackson to think so. And that's because it's in the government's power to introduce regulations to force the tech titans to pay for news if they don't do deals with all the news media here, as has happened already across the Tasman. Now in Australia, deals with Meta and Google, estimated to be worth more than 200 million Australian dollars a year to the Aussie media, have been done, saving many jobs and creating new ones, as well as more journalism. So how much money might Google eventually throw into New Zealand news, whether willingly or not, RNZ's Giles Beckford put that $64,000 question to Google's people last week and got this response. We can't give you any kind of commercial numbers because they're all commercial in confidence, Giles, unfortunately. Are you able to suggest that you know, this is worth broadly millions for the uh, publishing industries in New Zealand and for journalistic? Yeah, our global commitment for Showcase that we, when we announced it in October 2020 is $1 billion over three years. But beyond that, we're not able to share anything specific to New Zealand. 
So some slice of about a billion dollars of Google money over three years being spent all around the world could come the way of New Zealand media. Or not. But if there's no deal yet with the big news publishers, what's the problem? I asked Sinead Boucher, Chief Executive of Stuff. Those negotiations are underway, but I would say that as yet, neither of those companies have put any serious offers on the table. So are the Australian deals that we've heard so much about, are they your benchmark? Uh, and uh, do you want a kind of scale proportional to the, the New Zealand market? Uh, so you know, roughly speaking about something between a fifth and a quarter of the sort of sums they've put into uh, Australian uh, news media companies of scale? Yes, absolutely. Um, what we produce very similar kind of content. We operate in very similar kind of markets. So allowing for that scale, we think that the Australian deals that were secured by all sorts of publishers, um, big and small in Australia, represent fair commercial terms for the use of content that was sort of created and invested in by them. You know, we'd be looking for payments that equate to more like 40 to $50 million New Zealand a year into the industry here. Well, the reason, I guess, that those Australian deals were done in the end was that uh, the threat of being regulated or forced to uh, make some sort of payment was in the background because the Australian government made that quite clear. Do you think our government, have they given you any kind of signal that they're prepared to back you up? Yes, I think the um, government and Minister Jackson has made that very clear in um, his public statements that... They expect fair deals to be done and that they are prepared to legislate in the near term to ensure that happens. The Duncan Grieve of the spin-off, who uh, is part of the collective but also uh, being run through the News Publishers Association, wrote about the launch of Google Showcase and he said, look, based on the way that the Public Interest Journalism Fund, he says, has inadvertently made all media subject to attack and suspicion here in New Zealand, direct taxpayer funding is not an avenue any private sector journalism operator would like to see explored. So do you agree with him that um, actually this uh, Public Interest Journalism Fund has been a bit of a... PR problem and, um, you know, it would be better to be able to get money from the likes of Google and Meta. I agree entirely with Duncan. So firstly, the Public Interest Journalism Fund in particular has been used by those certain agendas to try and undermine trust in the independence of news media in this country and imply that because some media companies are receiving some funding via the government, that that means they are agents of the government or that the government controls the news agenda. And that is absolutely not the case, as I am sure, Colin, you at RNZ, which is 100% government funded, um, can attest to. However, I do say, you know, agree also with Duncan that we don't want to seek taxpayer funding. We don't want to be funded by the taxpayer in any way. But the only way to really materially address this is to create an environment where we can negotiate fair commercial payment from these giant multinationals who have built their businesses entirely off content created by other people. Um, and a lot of that comes down to news content produced by others. You could barely think of any search term and put it into Google and look down the results and not see that a news story created by somebody is part of their results. And they use, so they use that sort of investment to build their own advertising products, to build their own data, et cetera. And those of us who have invested in the creation of that receive nothing back from them. What we really um, are focused on is ensuring that we can negotiate a commercial payment for that content um, in the same way that you would for any other product, you know, 
if you invested in a car and someone took your car and started running as a taxi, you would expect them to um, compensate you for that, not to be able to build their own business off, off that without recognising your investment. Um, so it's no different than any other straightforward commercial relationship. Our problem is that these platforms are very reluctant to come to the table and have a um, fair negotiation. And that's why the sort of um, legislation has been needed in Australia and other countries and also um, looks likely here in New Zealand also. Look, I know Google is prepared to do some deals and has done some in this market, but it's obvious that they are sort of cents in the dollar compared to what you would see in other markets. And that's just not fair. The Commerce Commission has given the um, News Publishers Association permission to act as a collective on behalf of the industry um, because it recognises that exactly that bargaining power imbalance um, and that we have no teeth in terms of making them come to the table to negotiate with us. But I absolutely think unless we have that legislation, um, similar to Australia, similar to Canada and other countries, we will not get that, um, achieve that fair payment at all. That was Sinead Boucher, owner and chief executive of Stuff, talking to me earlier this month before the Broadcasting and Media Minister Willie Jackson said last weekend he wants deals done with the tech titans Google and Facebook within the next three months. Well, this week we reached out to Google to ask for their response to Sinead Boucher's claim that they, along with Facebook owner Meta, have yet to put any serious offer on the table and when they think the deals might be done. But Google here in New Zealand told us, unfortunately, an interview won't be possible without saying why. Instead, they gave us a statement attributable to Carolyn Rainsford, the country director for Google in New Zealand, which says, we are proud of the launch of Google News Showcase and continuing our conversations with other local news media businesses. Well, as Sinead Boucher said there, news publishers want payments from the big platforms in the order of the ones that the media in Australia have struck in recent years, which are now providing them with critical income. And a key figure in making that happen was the former director of Australia's competition regulator, the ACCC, Rod Sims. We presented the report to government in mid-2019 and they accepted the recommendation to have a news media bargaining code six months later and it was legislated in February 2021. That's pretty quick in terms of uh, policy development in Australia. So, uh, I mean, a key advantage we had, I think, was you know, a well-argued report from the ACCC, if I do say so myself, uh, but also then the support of all the media. Well, the, here in New Zealand, our competition regulator, the Commerce Commission, has given permission to a collective group of news media uh, to negotiate with Google and with Meta. Is that a good idea to do that? It is, but there's a, a problem in what you've just described. There were three key components of the News Media Bargaining Code in Australia, and all three were necessary. Google and Meta were required to bargain with all eligible media businesses, and if they could not reach agreement, then arbitration would come into place. So the, the, the threat of arbitration at the end of it was what evened up the bargaining power because the, the, the lack of bargaining power of the media businesses and having a threat of arbitration evened that up. But the second component was that if Google and Meta did a deal with one media player, then they were required under law to do a deal with all media 
players. Otherwise, so, so they, so Google and Meta weren't forced into this, but if they did a deal with one player, they had to do a deal with the lot. So their choice was either have no media content on their platform or do deals with the media companies. They could take their choice. And not surprising, they chose to do deals with media companies because there's value to them in doing those deals. So in Australia, every media company that was eligible had a right to negotiate and then get arbitration in its own right. The, the relevance of collective bargaining was only for the small players. So I think what I'm a bit concerned about in New Zealand is you don't have arbitration at the end of the negotiation period if negotiations fail. And I think more importantly, you don't have it written up that if you do a deal with one, you've got to do a deal with everybody. And is that something that would require, you think, legislation to back that up? The government would actually have to act? Because otherwise, I mean, really the likes of Google and Meta hold all the cards as well as you know the big profits in the bank, don't they? There's, there's no other impetus for them to do a deal with uh, either collectively or, or individually with significant media companies. Absolutely. I mean, yes, we were the competition agency that was asked to do the review and we made recommendations, but ultimately this is a policy issue for government um, and it needs legislation. There's no doubt about that. I wouldn't always recommend New Zealand follow Australian legislation, but on this occasion, I think having the the final offer arbitration, if you can't reach a deal, but crucially, if you do a deal with one, you've got to do a deal with all. See, that then empowers everybody. And you can only do that through legislation. The collective bargaining on its own will not do the job. Uh, I had the same discussion with people in the United States, uh, politicians. They had a process simply of allowing collective bargaining. I said that wasn't enough. You need the other two components of arbitration and non-discrimination, which I've described. Uh, They have now changed their legislation. So in the US... Uh, they now have those two components. Um, so I think collective bargaining on its own does not work. Here, the um, we've heard Sinead Boucher, the uh, chief executive of our biggest news company here, Stuff, saying if Australia's 200 million or so, they want about 40 to 50 million for a market about the fifth of, of the size for New Zealand. Do you think that's realistic or, or an appropriate benchmark? It, it sounds right to me. So in Australia... I know for a fact that the payments were well in excess of 200 million. They weren't around 200 million. They were above 200 million. And since I've I came up with that number, more deals have been done, albeit with small players. So I know it's well over 200. So if New Zealand is one fifth of that, then 40 to 50 million sounds absolutely the right number. In, in Australia, I mean, Google's done a deal with essentially all media businesses. Meta's only done a deal with media businesses that employ about 85% of journalists. Still okay, but not good enough. But the dollars per journalist were larger for the smaller companies than the larger companies. So, of course, the larger companies got more money because they've got more journalists. Mm. But the dollars per journalist were larger for the small companies. So it's crucial that it not only be an appropriate amount, but that it's widely shared. And for it to be widely shared, I think you need legislation so that everybody has the ability to bargain. Well, earlier on our program, we heard Sinead Boucher. She's the chief executive of our biggest news publisher, Stuff. She says, look, it's fundamentally unfair the way things are at the moment. And she said, you wouldn't 
own a car, build a car, take care of a car, and then let some other commercial operation use it as a taxi. I've talked to people from Google, for example, uh, who have said to me, we're better at what we do than the news media. And it's a bit like expecting uh, you know, taxi drivers to have to compensate, you know, the bullock cart drivers or, you know, rickshaw drivers or something when they got put out of business by superior technology. I mean, in the end, could the companies not stand their ground and say, look, I'm sorry, we're just simply better at what we do? No, that's completely wrong. This is not like the car taking the place of the horse and carriage or smartphones taking the place of Kodak film because Google and Facebook don't produce any journalism. So they haven't taken the place of media because they're just not in the media business. But they're just better um, at distributing it. And then, you know, that puts them in the middle of yes, the advertising as well. But that's a different question. Well, but but they're distributing it by taking it for free. I mean, the problem is for Google to be a good search engine, it needs to bring in media into its search every time, just about every time. So Google needs media, but they don't need any particular media company. So when any particular media company goes along and says, look, how about some compensation for the fact that you're making a lot of money out of our content, and that's the issue, uh, Google says, no, go away. So only by the news media bargaining code could you even up the bargaining power. Another point to point out is that when it goes to arbitration, if Google don't think they need to pay much, well, the arbitrator should side with them if their arguments are strong. We, under the legislation here, never said how much had to be paid. It's just even up the bargaining power, and if you can't do agree get reach agreement, it goes to arbitration. And if Google or Meta felt that there was not much benefit to them, they could have taken it to arbitration. They didn't. I think the two hundred million or the over two hundred million is a is you know a commercial sum that's been negotiated between the parties, and the same thing should happen in New Zealand. But it needs legislation. And the argument that Google and Facebook, the sort of creative destruction we've taken over from them, is completely fallacious because they don't produce any media. And unless we get payment for media that's being taken and used for free, we'll have a lot less media and less media harms society. And just finally, Rod, our broadcasting and media minister said uh, just last weekend on New Zealand television, he's been meeting Google and Meta he wants something done within three months. That's the clearest signal yet that he's given uh, that the government really does want uh, the tech companies to move on this. Uh, we've heard news producers saying there is no serious offer yet been made to this collective uh, bid by the News Publishers Association. Do you think we should expect anything to happen in three months or will it take a lot longer than that? Where there's such a strong bargaining imbalance that's damaging the economy, which clearly this one is, in my view, because it, it leads to an underprovision of news, then you need legislation to force them to do that. But they really need to see that the threat is real. Uh, unless they think the threat is real, unless the legislation is just about to go to Parliament, you know, it's not up to me to tell the New Zealand government what to do, but, but my advice would be that, uh, you know, pass the Australian News Media Bargaining Code. This is one bit of Australian legislation you can pass. Once that's done, you can withhold, you know, you can say, well, look, I'll designate you unless you do deals, which is exactly how we did it in Australia. But they had to see that the threat was real. That was Rod Sims, former director of Australia's competition regulator, the ACCC, described as the man who made Google and Meta pay for the news media's content across the Tasman.
Last Monday, the front page of the Dominion Post in Wellington had historic news. A new head of state had been proclaimed because King Charles III had been confirmed as such the previous day. And over the page, the Dom Post itself appeared to proclaim a leader in the contest to be the city's next mayor. Under the headline, Poll says Fano clear favourite. And that's not the royal Fano, but Tory Fano, the Green candidate having her first tilt at the job of Wellington mayor. Now, the Dom Post said Fano had a huge majority of more than 5,000 votes that were cast online between the previous Thursday and last Sunday. And that's a decent-sounding sample size there for a city of Wellington size. But the sample was only from Stuff's own online readers, a self-selecting sample then that made the findings scientifically unsound. And the Dom Post said as much themselves in the story, which said this. It's just one snapshot in time rather than a scientific survey. The Dom Post also said that survey allowed only one vote per computer, but anyone anywhere could actually vote, not just Wellingtonians. And what it called a straw poll didn't account for the effect of the single transferable vote system. And those are pretty clear shortcomings, but the Dom Post said the aim was only to give an indication of which candidates are viable. It then quoted Tori Fano as saying that while the poll was inexact, it was still exciting news which bolstered her campaign. So clearly she's feeling fairly viable. And the following day, the Dom Post columnist Dave Armstrong thought so too. In the paper, he said that Fano had aced that unscientific poll and... It's been a very good week for Fano, who I would have placed third at the beginning of the campaign. But Dave Armstrong would have been guessing if he did, because no other polls on the Wellington mayoral contest had been published at that point, so the Dom Post's unsound survey and story about it had more impact than it might otherwise have had. And when TVNZ's Q&A show unveiled the first proper poll of Wellingtonians in its show this weekend, there was no clear favourite, to use the wording of the Dom Post headline last Monday. Kantar Public took our poll results and modelled them under the STV system. That result shows a virtual toss-up between two candidates. By Kantar Public's modelling, under STV, Paul Eagle is just ahead of Tory Farno, But it is effectively too close to call between those two candidates. Kantar Public wanted to stress this is not necessarily a projection of a Paul Eagle victory. It is statistically too close to call, and there are many undecided voters. In the interest of transparency, though, we will make the full poll document available on our website. After the Dompo story last Monday, Henry Cook, a former senior political reporter at Stuff, disapproved like this in a tweet from the UK. The thing with unscientific polls is we should just stop conducting and printing them as an industry. Meanwhile, the National Party's pollster David Farrer went one further on his site Kiwi Blog, publishing a long and strong letter of complaint that he'd sent to the Dominion Post's editor. He reckoned their story breached the Media Council principles of accuracy and fairness because claims of public support for the mayoral candidates would mislead those who had read them. And that blunt headline calling Tori Fano a clear favourite, he said lacked any reference to the unscientific nature of the survey by labelling it as a poll, contrary to the explicit industry best practice guideline by the polling industry. Well, so far, that letter to the editor hasn't appeared or had a response in the Dominion Post. Now, as we've mentioned on Media Watch previously, back in 2020, the press watchdog, the Media Council, ruled on another case of the media reporting on the result of a political opinion poll that was set up by the self-same media outlet to give them something to report. And it concluded that informal polls can provide an entertaining and even rough-and-ready guide as to what people think, and there's no harm if the subject is relatively trivial and it's treated as a bit of fun. 
but the council also said that using such polls for serious subjects during an election campaign can undermine the reputation of the media because they're prone to manipulation. And this isn't the first time that the Don Post has been criticised for stories based on questionable surveys about local politics in that region. Four years ago, a front-page story said that the family of the Porirua mayor at the time, Mike Tana, was still living in Rotorua, in spite of a promise Tana had made two years earlier to bring them all back to Porirua if he was elected as mayor. And Mike Tana at the time was grilled on talk radio about his domestic arrangements. Is this rightfully calling someone on, you know, a promise they made but broken, or is this dirty politics? Or is there something in the water? In Porirua, Mike joins me now. Good morning to you. Uh, Morena, how are you? What's going on there, Mike? Um, it's dirty politics. And it turned out that the Dominion Post story was in fact based on a phone poll in which local residents were asked what they thought of that revelation about Mike Tanner and his family's location. But the Don Post said it didn't know who had arranged the phone survey or why. And while it asked Tanner's rivals for the job two years earlier what they thought of his living arrangements at that time, it didn't ask them if they were behind the polling of the people of Porirua or if they knew who was. Though Heather Duplessis-Allen did ask that on News Talk ZB back then. There are accusations that this is a smear campaign and dirty politics ahead of the next uh, local body elections. Is that what's going on here? Oh, I, I couldn't say that at all. I, would, I wouldn't have even thought about contacting. Now, back then, two professional pollsters told Media Watch that it looked like the sort of phone survey someone thinking about running for the mayor's job might do, and that it wasn't uncommon for candidates and parties to run message-testing polls to gauge responses to a political issue in advance of a campaign, or to float them as possible issues in the media. Now, the Dom Post did say in its story this week that its mayoral survey wasn't scientific and any formal complaint forthcoming about the accuracy and fairness of the story will only be decided long after the local elections are done and dusted. But back in 2020, the Media Council said that news media conducting and reporting their own polls need to take special care to ensure they're not being manipulated for political ends and to ensure that the public can have faith in the integrity of their mainstream news sources. And finally on Media Watch this weekend, on Midweek Media Watch this week, with Karen Hay on The Lately Show, I took a look at the ongoing coverage of the death of the Queen and the ascent of a new king, bolstered this past week by a big bunch of Kiwi reporters and presenters in the UK. It's on the RNZ website or on our podcast feed if you missed it. And among those missing Queen Elizabeth II, the professional photographers. In the British media, most of them were in a corner smoking, but I was ready, and I got this photo of the little girl presenting Her Majesty with some flowers. What and did the paparazzi do? What did the Brits do? Well, the Brits weren't happy with me, and one of them grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and tossed me in front of Her Majesty. That was Wellington photographer Simon Wolfe speaking on TVNZ's Q&A show last weekend. Now, he and his father, Ronald, both photographed the Queen on her visits to New Zealand many years apart, in public and in private sittings. And one news photographer who did the same was Rob Tucker, former illustrations editor at the Herald, who pulled together a remarkable collection of pictures by his peers for the photojournalism New Zealand charity auction, which takes place next Saturday in his hometown, New Plymouth. Now, back in June here on Media Watch, we heard RNZ's Taranaki reporter Robin Martin talking to Rob Tucker about the collection, the cause, and his many years in photojournalism. But that day, we didn't hear his story about working for the Queen for a day, which turned out to be not lucrative for him, but still rewarding. 
a gilt-edged invite to a private audience with the Queen, and I turn up and uh, ushered into the into the lounge, and uh, this guy comes over with, from behind a bar, and he said, would you like a drink? And I said, oh, I'll have a beer. And I had a meeting with the Queen, and, and it was a one-on-one -on -one with only this barman standing, not listening, in the background. And she had a drink. She uh, He brought over on a silver tray a drink. She briefed me on the job, and the job was to photograph in the Marae at Waitangi descendants of the original signers of the Treaty of Waitangi. She was meeting him in the, the meeting house, and she wanted me to photograph everybody that she met in the house. Thank you very much, Rob. And then we had a chat for about 10 minutes, and she said, look, you must excuse me. I have to go and get changed for dinner. And I said, thank you, Ma. She said, please stay and finish your drink. She put her drink down on a tray, and it had only been half drunk, and it was clear liquid in a crystal glass. And as she walked out, I grabbed the glass and I downed it. And I assure you, there was no tonic in it. Anyway, I did the job and it was absolutely amazing that I, I don't think many people have had a private audience with the Queen and doing a job for her, which I wasn't allowed to be paid. <laughs> so it cost me a fortune. <laughs> but I got a free drink. <laughs> that was former photojournalist Rob Tucker recalling his day with the Queen back in 1983 with RNZ's Taranaki reporter Robin Martin recently. Now you can see the other images in next weekend's auction on the Facebook page of the Photojournalism New Zealand Charity Auction. The photos, including a royal shot or two, will be sold at 5pm on September the 24th at New Plymouth's Plymouth International Hotel to raise much-needed money for the hospice that's provided relief to Rob Tucker himself in recent times. Well, that's all we have for you in Media Watch this weekend, but we'll be back again with more on the media at about 10.30 next Wednesday night, talking to Karen Hay on The Lately Show with Midweek Media Watch, and then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.